uh, Arizona Christian University is, uh, is in Phoenix, maybe Scott, well, yeah, Phoenix area. Um, and they have been, it's a good school, first of all, but, uh, but they've, they've become um, much more prominent of late. They've established a, a center there where they do studies kind of like Barna Research Group does, and their studies have proven to be um, very good. One of the things that I like about theirs, although I, I, I read Barna studies and everyone else's almost, but is that they really, to me, their questions go a little bit deeper to try to define who really is a born-again believer instead of just the general sense. Well, they surveyed 22,000 adults, and they released the results of this in February of 20... uh, This is 2022. February of 2021, uh, they they released this and it was, it was astonishing to me that out of those 2,000 adults, 62% of them believe that the Holy Spirit is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, and purity. Merely a symbol, not a personal being. I, w- I was a- astonished at that. And... I, you know, it's misguided thinking, um, teaching. One of the things, if you spend any time with me and you hear about different things that Christians believe or act upon, you'll probably hear me use two words, and that's bad doctrine. Because a lot of folks just unfortunately are taught wrong, and, you know, they believe that, act upon, and some of it is just it's just not their fault. Uh, it's just a matter of, um, you know, just being in a place where a lot of the teaching is not always biblically sound and credible. And if they're there over a period of years, then that's what they end up with. It, it doesn't take long to, even just in Romans 8, to see the person of the Holy Spirit that is absolutely working in our life beyond just a symbol or a, a presence. Um, there's, I, can, I can point out 15 uh, just in through the messages that we've done so far that in, you know, includes as much as the Spirit brings, bring, bringing us from death to life and the Spirit making us alive and uh, the Spirit leading us, the Spirit bringing us to a place to know that assurance and cry out, Abba, Father, and the Spirit assuring us of Uh, of redemption. Now what Paul does here in verses 26 and 27 is bring out another aspect of the the way the Holy Spirit works in our life that may not not always be known or seen or identified uh, among us. And and he's, he's dealing with the work of the Holy Spirit in prayer. Prayer, as you know, is one of those things that all of us know to do. And uh, I'm sure all of us desire to do, uh, but if, if we would be honest, uh, probably none of us pray as much as we want to, probably don't pray as much as we should. In all of my years of Christianity, I've never heard someone say to me, I pray so much, I need to cut it down. <laughs> never heard that. 
Never heard anybody say to me, man, I pray so much, even God is saying, just chill out. <laughs> Never heard that. I, I, I think all of us uh, would desire to pray more and know that we probably should pray more. And I think also on that same note, I think all of us have a, uh, recognize a sometimes a sense of, of weakness in prayer and not always sure what to pray. Some things we even, you know, some things we even consider unspoken. It's, 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 it's not that it's not an issue on our mind, but it's like, should I even tell anybody about this? Should I even bring this up? Or sometimes, honestly, we just, we just don't know what to pray for. Uh, like, I can, I can tell you on a personal level, even when we're, we're working and have been dealing with the folks in Afghanistan that was left behind that are either church planners or become believers, sometimes I don't know what to pray for them. I don't know whether I should pray for them to be hidden uh, so that they can't be found, or if I should pray that they be more bold and more vocal about their faith. I don't know if I should pray that they be rescued or if I should pray that they just remain right there and continue to do the work of God as much as God would allow them. I'm, I'm not always sure. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Not really sure. I, I can tell you as a pastor, sometimes when I go pray for people that are uh, in terminal illness, or what the doctors have declared, sometimes I don't know whether to pray that the Lord heals them, or I don't know sometimes to pray, just Lord, let them go on home. Sometimes I just don't, don't know. Am I being, I know we're on TV, but am I being too honest? I mean, it's, it's just sometimes I just really don't know what it is that I'm to pray. And simply put, we, we all need the Holy Spirit to help us do that. And that's what Paul is teaching in, in verse number 26. He says in the same way, depending on your translation, it might say likewise. And, and all he's doing, honestly, is connecting the various things that he's said about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in our life. And he's saying in the same way, likewise, the Holy Spirit also can help us uh, in prayer. He does tie it even a lot with those last few verses that dealt with suffering and trials and tribulations that, that Christians experience and lets us know that through that there may be forms of weakness and sometimes there's things that we don't know what's happening, we don't know uh, what God is doing. Uh, but likewise, as the Spirit is with us in so many other things, the Spirit will intercede for us and help us even during those those difficult times and, uh, and moments. And, and on a note, not to carry, carry on too much with this from uh, the last couple of messages, you know, tr trials and, and tribulations and sufferings uh, we're going to have. But I've, I, I can say in my Christian experience, when I talk to people who have what we say, use the term backslidden, either have abandoned their faith, given up their faith, or turned away from God or the things of the church, it's usually because of some trial or suffering in their life that they don't understand. Maybe something that overwhelms them, something that they can't quite get an answer to, and they, and they wonder why God will allow them to go through that. 
if God is loving and if God is good and, and all of those things, why is it then? I pray, I tithe, I go to church, and, and here I am in the, in the midst of this. And it's usually doing those kinds of things that cause people to stop believing. I've even heard people who I certainly thought were solid in their faith that have walked away from God because not necessarily things that they were necessarily part of, but maybe they got dropped into the middle of, of, of a famine in Ethiopia or, or uh, can't reconcile certain things that happened in world history. I'm not, I don't know much about this <clears throat> comedian, I think you say his name, Ricky Gervis or Gervais or, or something, but I heard someone ask him, it was after he had made a couple of statements that <clears throat> gave people the impression that maybe he was, you know, moving a little bit more conservative or I don't know, for some reason they got the thought maybe he was talking about a higher power who we know to, to be God. But they asked him, does he pray? And he said, no, why would I ask a God to help me find my keys if he'd done nothing during the Holocaust? That kind of mindset sometimes has caused people to not look to God or trust in God or, or walk away from him. But wrong teaching, even during those times, has messed up a whole lot of Christians. Just wrong teaching. People have been taught that if you, if you live well and do everything right, you, know, you can avoid suffering. You shouldn't go through trials and tribulations like, like, like other people. Maybe there's manners that you can avoid them because of your relationship with the Lord. After all, God is a God of love and God is a God of goodness. And why should you be experiencing the same things that unbelievers uh, experience? That's just, that's just all, all bad doctrine. There's no scriptures that even imply to us that we as the children of God won't experience some things that just happens in a broken world. Life, stuff that, that happens. And even Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus said that. So, you know, trials and are, 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 are not because people have done anything wrong. And God is, you know, trying to bring people to some kind of place of acknowledgement for sin. It doesn't mean that God doesn't use things like that to get our attention. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, uh, verse 67, he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. So God does... He does do some things that get our attention. I, I think all of us would agree. If you're Jonah and you wake up in the belly of a whale, that gets your attention, right? Some things just get our attention. God sometimes may put us flat on our back that we may finally look up to the right direction. So those things can, can happen. But the suffering that Romans 8 talks about, that the Spirit helps us with is not in any response to anything that was done, done wrong. It's, it's, just, it's just those kinds of things that take place in our life just like they did with Jesus. And so the Scripture is clear to us that it, the suffering we do with Christ is so that we would be glorified with Him. And any suffering that we go through does not have any effect on the assurance of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. 
Suffering never comes without promise. It never comes without a hope. And more so, it gives us the promise and the confidence that the Holy Spirit will be with us to help us. Verse 26 in the New Living, it says, And the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Interesting language here, uh, because he does talk about weakness, and, and the word is kind of an ambiguity, I think is how you say it. I don't know necessarily exactly what Paul is saying here about weakness. He could be referring to physical weakness, mental, emotional, but he could simply just be talking about uh, that sense that we feel of being weak when we're uncertain about things things that we just don't know what to pray about, as I mentioned earlier with people in Afghanistan or going to pray for someone that's terminally ill. But what he does tell us is that we can be encouraged because the Holy Spirit knows what to pray when we don't. The Holy Spirit knows what to say, what to bring to the Father. And he, he, he says, he calls it groanings that are too deep for words. It's not like you hear the Holy Spirit in an audible voice saying, pray this, pray this, pray this. Not saying that he can't do that. Of course he can. But, but here he's saying it's groanings that's too deep for words. It's like there, there is a sense and a, 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 an understanding that the Holy Spirit that uh, uh, lives in you knows exactly what needs to be expressed because of his knowledge of the will of God, his knowledge of you, and and he's describing that expression from the Holy Spirit that inspires what we pray. He calls it a groaning, a deep sigh. That word is not unfamiliar to us. Um, It's the same word that's used in, there's a Hebrew uh, counterpart to it that's used when the children of Israel, when, when the Lord saw the children of Israel in in Egypt, he said, I heard their groanings. Now, it doesn't mean that they were physically groaning, although obviously with all the suffering, but he heard a sound from them that he knew was coming from them. We see it with Jesus in Mark chapter 7, verse 34. The scripture says, when the man that was, uh, that was uh, deaf was presented to him, that he had a deep sigh. A, a, a groaning of seeing the condition of this man and the effect that was up, up on him. And, of course, he followed that up with healing. We see it in John chapter 11 when Jesus is approaching the tomb of Lazarus and he hears the weeping of Mary, the weeping of Martha, and the people around him. The, the Scripture said that God groaned, that, that the Lord Christ groaned, and he even wept because he saw the effect of death upon people that he loved, actually death upon uh, the whole community. And there was a groaning within him and a, a, a unsettledness of the effect of what was going on with people that he wanted to do something about. He wanted to change. He wanted to understand the change. The scripture says that we live with a groaning, those of us that know Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2, that even though that we're in these physical bodies, that we're groaning and we're sighing for the day that we're able actually to lay down these physical bodies and put on heavenly bodies. I don't think none of us walk around with a loud groaning 
because of looking forward to that experience, but there's something coming in from the heart, something from the inner man that is groaning and sighing, looking forward to that day. In Hebrews chapter 13 and 17, the scripture says that for those that are church leaders, when they have to give account for the people that are in their congregation, the desire is for you to live in such a life that when, when there's an account given by us before the Lord for you, that we don't do it with groaning. That, you know, when I'm standing before, when I'm standing before the Lord and the Lord says, well, tell me about Mike Hosko, and I say, mmm, mmm, mmm. There's not a groaning. It's not a sign. Not that I wouldn't do that for you, Mike, but, but since my eyes caught you, you was the man. But what, what he wants us to know, that there are those times in our life, those seasons, when, when we, we, we don't know what it is that we're to pray. We don't even know necessarily how to express what we're feeling. That, that the Holy Spirit is present. He's right dabbed smack in the middle of our struggle. I think we lose sight sometimes that when we're in the middle of a battle of our life or uh, going through a trial or a tribulation, it's so easy for us to feel like we, this person, me singular, are in this fight and battle and forget that we have a Holy Spirit that lives in us that is right in the middle of it with us. And he's not offended when we feel weak. He's not offended when we, when we don't know what to say or how to, how to respond. He, he, he doesn't mock us because we, we, we're, we're, we're not sure about what we're doing or we, we've lost our confidence. He's right in the battle with us. And the scripture says he groans with us unto the Father as we plead for that help. Now, this is, uh, this is continuation teaching of what Jesus said himself. Because remember, Jesus says, when I leave, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. He, this one of these was in the same chapter that he said that you will experience tribulation. But he says, I'm not going to leave you without help. John 14, 16, he says, and I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, speaking about the Holy Spirit, that we will have a helper. John 16, 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is clearly making a distinction. As long as I'm here on earth, I'm limited to those that I'm going to be able to be with in times of trouble. But if I go away and the Holy Spirit comes back, he can be a help to every one of you. So it's to our advantage, indeed, that Jesus left the earth and sent back the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is describing the Spirit praying for us, interceding for us to compensate our lack of clarity or to compensate our insight. So he, the Holy Spirit, can articulate the things that we don't know how to articulate. So he's implying that oftentimes when we're praying with our lips and our mouth, it's the Spirit that's praying in us and through us. He takes on in the, in the sense of, of those groanings, 
things in our heart. Again, it's not audible, necessarily audible voices that you're hearing uh, from the Spirit of God, but it, it's, it's, and uh, he knows your heart. He knows your struggle. He knows what's in you. Groanings is just a word that defines the sense that the Lord is in it with you. He's feeling what you're feeling, experiencing what you experience, and even more so beyond you because he knows exactly what it is that you're up against, what you need help with, what you need to pray for, and inspires you to pray out those very, those very things. The Holy Spirit does that. He prompts us so that those things come to an audible, audible level. We don't always know our particular feelings. I, I have shared over time to time that uh, I was, for two weeks in 2008, I was with a, a counselor in Colorado, and, and early on, when he would ask me about certain things, he realized that I really didn't know how to express myself with the right feeling words. So he took me through a lesson to help me define. I, I mean, I had the simple stuff, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling sad, you know, those kind of things. But he took me through more definition of what it was that I'm really, really feeling and how that can be uh, expressed. That's basically what the Holy Spirit is doing. He knows what's happening. And he's inspiring you to bring those words of need before the Lord. And the question that you might be asking is, does these groanings and the way the Spirit speaks out of you, does it, does it also mean praying in tongues? I'm so glad you asked that question. So glad that you asked. Because I absolutely do believe that is certainly a part of it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 2 tells us that, that when, we, when we pray in tongues or speak in tongues, we're uttering mysteries in the Spirit. So I do believe a part of, or what we can do uh, as believers, and I recognize that everybody in this house may not have that, that gift, and we certainly don't make any issues about people who don't, in the sense of trying to define or distinguish who's more spiritual than others, because this one prays in tongues and this one doesn't. We don't do that at all. We believe if you're born again, you're born again, and the Spirit of God is living in you. But I do want you to hear this. It is absolutely a gift of God that every one of us has available to us. So, so don't miss that point, whether you function that way or not. In all senses, it is in the Spirit that we should pray. Ephesians 6.18 says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplications to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. Also in Jude chapter 20, verse, uh, uh, yeah, verses 20 and 21, uh, Jude 20, and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So I, I do think, just to suggest this, that all Christians can pray in the Spirit, whether you pray in tongues or whether you just pray in your native language. All Christians can pray in the Spirit. Don't limit yourself, though, to just your native language because the Spirit of God that's working in you is very capable of speaking out of you in an unknown uh, tongue, a language that you may not know, but it does indeed speaks to God, and the Scripture says, builds us up. But praying in the Spirit is the key. Praying, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through us, to define, to depict what it is that we don't have the words to say so that we do pray according to his will. 
He prays, the Spirit does, prays to God perfectly. He knows the mind of God. He knows uh, the mind of the Lord. And he absolutely wants to help us to fulfill the purposes that God has in our life in no matter what circumstance or situations that we find ourselves in. And therefore, we allow the Spirit of God to pray through us. Verse 27 says it like this, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. And the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. It takes a lot of pressure off of us. It takes a lot of pressure off of us to go before God and try to figure out how to, how to word something. Or it takes the pressure off of us to, 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 to try to seem like we're more uh, articulate or, or, uh, or more knowledgeable than we really are when we go before the Lord. It's so much better just to allow, just to surrender yourself to the Spirit of God and let the Spirit of God say what needs to be said through you, just to rest upon him. Now, you take that, verse 26 and 27, and to some degree, it leads us to some of the meaning of verse 28. Because when we're praying allowing the Spirit of God who knows all things in the midst of whatever crisis, trial, tribulation, suffering we're going through, when we let the Holy Spirit do in the praying, then we know that it leads to the working out of all good. Because it's He, it's He that's praying for us. And it is, it is a fact. Verse 28 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to to his purpose for them. Outside of John 3.16, that's probably one of the most popular verses. All things work together for the good, for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. Sometimes we, we leave that off and we just say all things work together for the good. It's, it's, it's popular. People got it on t-shirts. They got it on mugs. They got it posted on posting notes on their walls and their mirrors, you got it embroidered in your pillow so you can sleep on it and, you know, all of that to, to explain the situation. And at the same time, it's probably one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. One of the most misquoted. If, if you don't mind me being, uh, being honest, which I probably don't really care whether you do or not because I'm, I'm going to be, but, but sometimes you know as well as I do that sometimes when you hear that verse, when you're in the middle of a crisis and a situation and you have no clue where it's going and don't understand what God is doing, sometimes that verse sounds so hollow. As a matter of fact, sometimes it can be frustrating. Sometimes when you're in the middle of the situation, I've done this, I've told myself, I don't want to hear anybody say to me, in the middle of all of this, don't worry, pastor. You know it's all going to work out for the good. In the moment, I don't want to hear that. Now, I know it's in the Scripture, and I believe it. You know I believe the Bible literally and will preach every verse. And so by no means, don't anybody misunderstand me. Those of you watching, don't misunderstand me. I absolutely believe what this Bible verse says, but sometimes I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I can see the good coming out of the bad, 
For example, if you're going through something and, you know, somebody does a GoFundMe for you and as bad as the situation is, but they raise funds and help you, you can see some good coming out of that, but you can't always see the good that comes out of a bad thing. There's people that are, that are paralyzed for life and you can't get out of them why you think this is good. Y'all doing all right? You, you're in the deep end. I know y'all. I'm not going to let you drown. I'm going to bring you up. Just stay down here with me for a minute. Just figure out how to swim. Listen, I heard a pastor share this story. He said Natasha and her husband had, not our Natasha. I'm just using her real name. <laughs> Natasha and her husband had longed for a child and finally conceived after five years of trying. They learn their child is a girl and decide to name her after Natasha's mother who had died when Natasha was an infant. Throughout the pregnancy, they read every book. They were excited, had great expectation, prepared themselves, had the nursery all set up, initials on the wall, everything was decorated, everything was set. The day of the birth, though, the girl was stillborn, was wrapped up around the umbilical cord. The only memory that she talks about having of this child is her daughter turning blue and that still body laying right there. And her and her husband, as a lot of people who lose a child, the pain of it was so great that their marriage, not knowing how to deal with it, their marriage deteriorated. They began to lash out which uh, toward each other and it just got more and more volatile. During that time, unfortunately, Natasha's husband begins to have an affair at work, finds an escape in conversations with the coworker and convinces himself that he loves this woman. Natasha finds emails and things like that and the lashes out at him and he blames her and how they've handled things or how to handle things. He leaves and promptly files for divorce. Within a year, he's married again and has a little girl by the one he's married to. Shattered all of her dreams as she see her husband carrying on with her dream. She, the pastor said that she wasn't much of a fighter. It was hard for her even going through the divorce, so she didn't put up, put up much of a fight and didn't do so well in the divorce settlement. She had to get a second job, was a waitress. Doing her first job, working late nights on the second job. One night she fell asleep, driving home, had a car accident. In the car accident, the car was totaled. Two of her vertebrae and her, vertebrae and her lower back was crushed. And the rest of her life, he, well, according to when he was saying this, the rest of uh, her life for up until that time, she lived with limited mobility and in chronic pain and is labeled disabled. He talked about that she even had a friend that said to her, at least you're not a quadriplegic or held hostage by a terrorist, as if somehow that's supposed to bring comfort. I can assure you that if either one of us was sitting in front of this lady and we quoted Romans 8.28 at that time, there's no way in the world she could see the good that's going to come out of that. No way in the world that she could see the silver lining. At that time, 
she wouldn't be able to see the working for good that God does. But here is where the truth of God's word plays out. Not just this verse, but the verse, this verse in the context of what God does. A lot of times we say that we want to live by faith. But the moment that we can't see what God is doing or don't understand what God is doing, then we want to throw our hands up and then say even then, well, I don't even know if I trust God. I don't even know if God is there. We, we say that we want to live by faith, but let's be honest. Oftentimes we want to live by faith with what we understand. Y'all, 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 we, we coming up. We getting up out the bottom. We, we, we want to live by faith, but we also want to be able to understand it. So my commitment to God is, Lord, I will serve you. I surrender to you. I will live by faith as long as I know what you're doing in my life. As long as I know what you're doing. As long as I can see it. As long as I can wake up and say, I get it. If that's the case, then you're not living by faith. You're living by sight. You're living by sight. You're not living by faith. Faith means that I trust God even when I can't see him. Faith means that I trust God even when I don't get it. Faith says I trust God even when there's moments of frustration and concern and praying with agony and praying in tears and pressing through, trying to get through the moment. No less try to understand it, but just to believe that God is a God of his word. Sometimes when we, when I've learned this in my life because I've been here, been in that place. I've learned in my life that when I don't understand what God is doing, it's best to keep my mouth shut. Just keep it shut and let God does, do what he does. God, listen, some of the best, you know why I don't watch a whole lot of, I'm great going to rant, but I got eight minutes and nine seconds. You, you know why I don't go watch a bunch of Christian movies, so-called Christian? I know how they go in. I don't care if the girl was born crippled, she gonna win the race at the end. I don't care how far the boy fell into the water, they gonna rescue him. I mean, you know, I don't care how bad their marriage was, at the end, the fires come and all that, I know how they gonna end. Give me the stories that got some tension. The stories that I don't know where this is going and how this is gonna go until the end of it. It's the books I, that's the books I like to read. Give me the tension. Every now and then I'll catch one of those ones on a TV series or whatever you call it, Netflix or Hulu. I'll see the first one and think, shoot, okay, I'm not sure how this is going to go. So I need to watch the second one, then watch the third one. Next thing you know, I didn't spend the whole day because I got to get to number eight to see how this ends. I didn't sit up there and binge all day long. And the Virginia comes in the house, what did you do today? Oh, oh I was studying. Oh, studying. Oh, man, it was tense. You know, I didn't sit up there and binge all day long be, 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 because of the, the tension. And, and so we, we got to avoid the temptation to declare that nothing makes sense until God finishes the series in your life. We got to avoid the tension. Here's, here's the assurance. Invariably, I know this. Verse 28 says it, but along with everything else in the Scripture, invariably at every moment, God is working for the good. That painful chapter in your marriage, that setback at work, that chronal illness, I can, I can assure you, 
in the end, God is working for the good of you. And listen to this. The worst that it gets for any believer is that God is going to work in all things for your good. That's the worst that it gets. And so no one, no second, no millimeter of your suffering is wasted. God is transforming all of that to his glory and your good. And so let me close with this. There's so much that I could, more I could say uh, on this. And worship team, if you, can, you can come. Here is three things that I, I need you to grab a hold of. First, if, if you're in a season of pain and you, you don't see any good coming out of it, can I just convince you to withhold judgment on God? Just withhold your judgment. What God is doing may be revealed to you soon. It may take later. I'm assured it's going to be revealed to you in eternity. But in the meantime, trust the character of God that you know. We've seen that in Psalm 73 when the dude said that my foot almost slipped. I, I was going through this. I had this and saw this going on. It was only when I got in the sanctuary that I realized the goodness of God is with me. He is doing what he's doing. There is a great hymn that we sing that I'm telling you, sometimes you may have to repeat over and over. Great is his faithfulness. He is our God and Father. There is no shadow of turning with him. He changes not. His compassions fail not. As he has been, as he is, he will forever be. Great is his faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, his hand has provided. Great is his faithfulness. My Lord, unto me. I can assure you that God is going to give you strength today and going to give you a bright hope for tomorrow. You just got to trust God through the process. The second thing is just, just pray. You may not even understand everything I said about the groanings and the, the Spirit praying with you. Even if you didn't understand all that, just pray. Watch what the Holy Spirit will do. Just pray. Just, just talk to God. Invite the Holy Spirit to be involved in it. My, my Uncle Shirley always says, no prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. The Spirit can't work in you at all if you, if you don't commit to praying. Just pray. If you don't know what to pray, then just start with the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught this for a reason. Just start right there. Matthew 6, 9 and 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're honoring God. You're honoring God's character. You're telling God whatever it is that you want done in heaven for my life, let it be done here on earth. Give us this day our daily bread, whatever needs you may have, mentally, emotionally, physically, for provision, for, ask, uh, for forgiveness. Lord, forgive me as I forgive those who've, uh, who've offended me. Don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil, and for thine are the kingdom and the power and the glory. If nothing else, Start your day with the Lord's Prayer. Start right there. But finally, I want to say this because, and I'll pick up on this more next week. I, I began to introduce it today. I, I've, heard, I've heard Christians just flat out lie to people. Flat out lie. When they're talking to unbelievers and unbelievers are telling them their problems and they say to them, don't worry about it, baby it's going to work out for good. That's a lie. Hear me. 
If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you don't have that promise. This verse is not for everybody. It's for those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. That's who this promise is for. And so you might be here and you're listening to this and, and you're thinking, man, I like what that guy's saying. I'm getting this. I want to get in on this. But if you haven't started a new life, a relationship with the God of the planet, the Lord who created you, if you haven't started there, then this promise doesn't apply to you yet. But it can. It can the very moment, no matter what situation you're in. That is a great thing about our God. He's the God of the turnaround. God can turn your situation around just like that. As quick as he said, let there be light and created is how quick he can turn around your situation. When you trust him, when you love him, God said it. It's a promise he's made. I've seen it over and over in my life. He will work things out for the good. He's working in those things for the good for those who love him and those who are called by him and surrendered to his purpose. So the, so the issue really is, for you, is, is what, what is it that you believe about this Jesus? What, what do you believe about him? Do, do you really believe he is the God-man who's come to the planet, has made us some absolute precious promises revealed to us the will and the heart of the Father and sent back His Spirit to dwell in us so that we may have Him in our life for His goodness, for our goodness and His glory for all eternity. What is it that you really believe about this Jesus? If you can wrestle with that and come to the place to surrender to Him, I'm telling you, Romans 8.28 does apply to you and you'll see it working in your life. C.S. Lewis said something, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. He says, don't come to Christianity because it's comforting. Don't come to Christianity because it's encouraging. Don't come to Christianity because it's relevant. Don't come to Christianity because it's exciting. Come to Christianity because Christ is true. That's the bottom line. That's where the rubber meets the road. Everybody stand if you would. Prayer team, come. done more teaching, of course, and I'll just pray out, give you an opportunity. Every time, even if I don't say it, just know this, you can always come. These dear folks are here every week, whether we make a personal appeal or whatever kind of uh, prayer time we encourage, they're going to be here every week. You can always come to pray, ask them for prayer for anything. We leave the front section open. If you don't want anybody to touch you and bother you and necessarily approach you, you can just come and either kneel in the front or stand before the Lord and just worship him. So these altars are always open for you to respond in any way you feel the Holy Spirit is doing so. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. I thank you for allowing me to share it. I pray, Lord God, that it's been braced by by those, Lord God, who are listening, listening here in the house, those, Lord, that are, that are watching online. Holy Spirit, you, you know there's many of my dear friends that are praying for healing miracles. We're walking with people, and people in this house are walking with people in their lives who are struggling with addictions and fighting through things. People got their own personal trials, their own suffering, 
that they're facing and dealing with. And your words do ring true. There's moments, there's times, there's seasons when it's tough to get it and tough to embrace it. But we're sure that you will indeed work all things out for the good, for those that love you, those that are called according to the purpose. Help us, Lord God, to trust you in the process. Help us, Lord God, not to, not to throw in the towel, not to turn away, not to give up, but to believe you, to walk by faith, knowing that you've never lied to us, that you've kept every promise. You've always proved yourself to be true, to be right, to be just, to be holy, and to be good. So let us, let us, Lord God, trust you with that character. And Father, I pray that you help all of us when we go in our prayer times, as we pray, Lord God, with the words that we know, as we pray in the manner that we know, come Holy Spirit, pray with us. Help us, Lord God, to say those things, speak out those things that only you know that is part of your will and your purposes for our life. Father, we thank you and we love you. In Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen. God bless you. Have a great day.